Hi there, and welcome to another Oslo podcast from the 24th annual ANZIC CTG meeting. My name's Todd Fraser. The pathophysiology of ARDS is complex and remains incompletely understood. However, it is clear that ARDS is not simply a disease of the alveoli. Understanding the pathological basis of ARDS will assist in the development of new therapies for this potentially fatal disease. One such avenue is the role of thrombolysis. Professor Anders Anneman and Dr. Lucy Copeland are leaders of a new program of research looking at this potential intervention. Anders is a Senior Intensive Care Specialist and ICU Research Director at Liverpool Hospital in Sydney, as well as a Senior Fellow at the Simpson Centre for Health Services Research and the Ingham Institute for Applied Medical Research, while Lucy is a Senior Research Fellow, Clock Pro Expert in the ICU Group at New New South Wales Medical School. Um, she also is the Hub Coordinator for the Sphere Clinical Trials Methodology Group and is part of the Ingham Institute of Applied Medical Research. And as Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Todd. Um, Anders, I'll start with you. The VEDIPAT um, ARDS trial is exploring the use of TPA in the management of ARDS. What's the relevance of thromboembolism in the pathology of ARDS? So the, the lung circulation represents an enormous capillary surface area that must carefully balance coagulation and fibrinolytic pathways to support pulmonary perfusion and gas exchange. And it is known that the Severe inflammation characteristic of ARDS leads to fibrinolytic impairment, accumulation of fibrin deposits, both within the microcirculation and within the alveolar spaces. And in addition, anti-fibrinolytic mediators such as PI-1 increase in ARDS. And this complex interplay between inflammation and hypercoagulability create a thrombogenic state that is certainly at play in COVID ARDS, um, but also in, in non-COVID ARDS. The, the risk for thrombotic events, as we know, is, is particularly severe in, in COVID ARDS, where observational studies support the incidence of thrombotic complications such as PEs, DVTs, strokes, MIs, clotted dialysis circuits, or, or clotted ECMO oxygenators um, in up to 15 to 20% of cases um, compared to 5% in non-COVID ARDS. And importantly, therapeutic anticoagulation using heparin um, has failed to generate a clinical benefit um, as demonstrated in multiple uh, multi-platform randomized controlled trials. Um, and also antiplatelet therapy, including aspirin and P2Y12 inhibitors, do not appear to convey any clinical benefit. So I guess in particular in COVID-19, attention has now turned to therapies that support fibrinolytic capacity with small-scale trials um, already ongoing. Um, and, and this is in the context of earlier studies in ARDS almost a couple of decades ago, um, that also demonstrated the benefit from um, fibrinolytic treatment to support gas exchange. Lucy, what's the pathological basis for the lack of fibrinolysis or hypofibrinolysis? 
Todd, clot, clots form in overwhelming infection following endothelial activation and damage, and also the co-activation of platelets and immune system components like complement and innate immune cells, as well as the adaptive uh, immune cells. Uh, endothelial cells, platelets, and innate immune cells release plasminogen activator inhibitor 1, also known as PI1, which inhibits endogenous tissue plasminogen activator that is also released by endothelial cells and platelets. And so this increased release of PI1 results in reduced fibrinolysis. Tissue factor expression also occurs on subendothelial cells as well as um, innate immune cells, and this stimulates thrombin production, which activates another fibrinolysis inhibitor known as TAFI, uh, which stands for thrombin-activated fibrinolysis inhibitor. And additionally, plasminogen that is converted by TPA into plasmin that lies as fibrin and clots may become exhausted as plasmin is also involved in several aspects of the immune response and also in tissue repair. There are therefore several pathways through which hypofibrinolysis may develop, which dramatically increases the thrombosis risk in these patients. Now, this trial is going to screen uh, patients for eligibility based on vesicoelastic clotting profile. Can you tell us a bit more about that, Lucy? Sure, Todd. Um, vesicoelastic testing is a rapid bedside technology that evaluates whole blood coagulation. So people may be familiar with thromboelastography, which is known as TEG, and rotational thromboelastometry, or ROTAM, and the more recent version of the technology called CLOPPRO. So viscoelastic testing evaluates both the plasma and platelet contributions to the clot, and it's also able to detect a procoagulant and as well as bleeding phenotypes, as well as hyper and hypofibrinolysis. In comparison, standard laboratory testing evaluates plasma coagulation, not the platelet contribution, and the assays were designed to, effect, to assess the effect of anticoagulation therapy, so they don't detect a procoagulant state. D-dimers obviously are frequently performed. Uh, D-dimers are obviously a breakdown product of fibrinolysis, but they're not particularly uh, a particularly useful measure of fibrinolysis activity as low levels may be due to the absence of a procoagulant state or it may be due to the fact that the patient has developed fibrinolytic shutdown. And is, in designing this trial, how does this technology enhance the, uh, the trial design? Yeah, we are using viscoelastic testing in the um, VETIPAT ARDS study to make sure we select ARDS patients that have a procoagulant and hypofibrinolytic profile um, that would then go on to receive TPA therapy. So in, in doing so, we can also be confident that we are not recruiting patients who have a, a bleeding phenotype, for example, those with compromised platelet function or low fibrinogen levels. So this predictive enrichment strategy um, that we imply in, in our study enrollment is, is very important, um, and it certainly sets the VETIPAT study aside from 
other ongoing and previous trials um, of thrombolytic agents in COVID uh, or non-COVID ARDS. Now, Lucy, this is very interesting. Um, how does the vesicoelastic uh, testing uh, process, how is it used differently to how it would be in standard conditions? So the Clot Pro, the most recent technology, has a novel assay that is known as the TPA test. This assay involves the addition of TPA into the standard tissue factor activated assay to enable um, the uh, study of fibrinolysis. So in this assay, if there are high levels of the TPA inhibitor PI1 present in the patient's blood, a reduced level of clot lysis will be observed on the TPA test. Equally, if there are inhibitors of fibrin lysis downstream of TPA activity, for example, TAFI, a reduced level of clot lysis will also be seen. And finally, if plasminogen levels are depleted, a reduced clot, uh, level of clot lysis will also be observed. The TPA test, therefore, is a very sensitive indicator of disordered fibrin lysis that may occur at virtually any point of the fibrin lysis pathway. And as this trial is going to be looking at TPA administration in treating this uh, hypofibrinolysis, what's your working hypothesis on how this will potentially be of benefit? Well, the, the intention of the TPA administration is um, um, to lyse any micro or macro thrombi present, um, but also um, to re-establish the PI1 TPA um, balance to restore fibrinolytic capacity. It is quite possible that the effects of TPA to improve perfusion um, and its effect on the balance of hemostatic factors will have downstream effects to reduce the pro-inflammatory state overall. The, the TPA will be administered with um, an initial two-hour bolus, um, and then at a very low dose running over 72 hours, by which time we expect that the triggering factors contributing to the pro-coagulant and hypofibrinolytic state um, will have come under control. Having said that, we aim to deliver the intervention early after admission to ICU, and we want to avoid using the TPA treatment as a rescue therapy, um, since we already know that intervention with, interventions with that timing um, are unlikely to be successful. The global coagulation status of the patient um, focusing on, on fibrinolytic capacity will be closely monitored um, throughout using viscoelastic testing um, to ensure that patients are not put um, at an increased risk of bleeding. We've got clear stopping rules built into the protocol for the TPA infusion. And essentially the, the management of the TPA infusion um, guided by repeated viscoelastic testing is very similar to that of a heparin infusion that is adjusted based on upon measurements of APTT. Lucy, what existing data is there to support this sort of intervention? Todd, there have been some small-scale trials in non-COVID arts patients uh, that used urokinase or streptokinase in the 1980s to the 2000s, uh, which demonstrated benefit in terms of restoring uh, pulmonary vascular filling defects on imaging in ARDS patients. 
and improvements in respiratory function were also seen. However, concern over bleeding risks appears to have prevented these findings from being further investigated, despite the fact that there were no bleeding events that occurred in these studies. In COVID-19 patients, observational studies have demonstrated that the clots from these patients are harder to lyse ex vivo, and that's due to high PI-1 levels. And also patients with high PI-1 levels have been found to be at an increased risk of thrombosis and poorer outcomes. Other COVID-19 patients, however, have high TPA levels and have been found to um, be at an increased risk of bleeding. We've undertaken some observational studies in our critically ill COVID-19 population in Liverpool Hospital ICU, and we've shown that 48% of these patients had a fibrinolytic defect. And so this is equally important that 52% of our patients had normal or enhanced fibrinolysis. So only about 50% of patients are actually um, have this fibrinolysis issue. Small-scale trials of TPA or tenecteplase, a longer-acting form of TPA, are taking place in COVID-19 patients following some uh, case studies that showed benefit. These trials are recruiting based upon the severity of respiratory failure, um, plus or minus D-dimer levels, and a single dose of TPA is being administered to all patients. In some trials, this is being followed by or combined with therapeutic intravenous heparin. The timeframes of TPA administration also vary from two hours to five days in these studies. Our concern with this approach is that there are several potential explanations for the severity of respiratory failure in the COVID-19 patients, including pre-existing underlying disease. Additionally, D-dimer levels have, as I previously explained, are not necessarily an accurate evaluation of fibrinolysis. And disordered fibrinolysis may only be present in half of these patients. Additionally, our studies showed that some patients who are hypofibrinolytic will not respond to any dose of TPA as the defect is downstream of TPA and likely due to exhausted levels of plasminogen. Our approach, therefore, is to use the viscoelastic testing to highlight uh, or target the right patients, but also to personalise the TPA dose to the patient's needs, thus increasing the efficacy and safety of this approach. And we've also developed a novel viscoelastic testing-based assay that enables us to determine whether plasminogen deficiency is present and therefore may be causing TPA resistance. Anders, tell us about Vedipat Ards and who will be included in the study. Yeah, we are um, currently recruiting patients who have uh, COVID and non-COVID ARDS, according to the standard Berlin definition. Um, and patients um, who are not thrombocytopenic, um, they must not be requiring therapeutic anticoagulation, and, and obviously they, they mustn't have any contraindications to TPA treatment. Um, patients who are on ECMO and patients with uh, renal and liver failure are also excluded. 
We hope that in the near future, we might be extending the um, study inclusion criteria to include patients with um, sepsis and, and respiratory failure, as we believe the underlying coagulation disturbances are uh, very much the same in this broader population, even if they would not meet ARDS criteria. But that's our plan for the future. Lucy, tell us about the treatment protocols that will be involved in the study. Sure. The trial involves two stages. The first stage is a safety and dose finding stage where we'll gradually escalate the dose of the two-hour bolus and the low-dose infusion over a 24-hour period. And during this time frame, we'll undertake regular viscoelastic testing in these groups of five patients per dose escalation. We have an independent data and safety monitor monitoring committee who are overseeing the study, and they will approve the progression to the next dose escalation step after reviewing the data on the previous dose cohort. And the higher TPA doses that we intend administering will only be used in patients with the most severe hypofibrinolysis. The second stage of the study involves a randomised controlled trial where patients are randomised to receive TPA treatment plus standard care uh, or standard care alone. And an algorithm will be developed for the starting TPA doses based upon the severity of hypofibrinolysis measured using the CLOPPRO TPA test, which will be guided by the results we obtain from stage one of the study. And the control patients in this randomised trial will have viscoelastic testing performed at the same frequency of those patients on the TPA intervention. Anders, what's the sort of information that you're hoping to get out of this study? What are the primary outcomes and the other outcomes that you'll be looking at? Yeah, the, the primary outcome measure is the change in the um, clot lysis time obtained from the TPA test, as Lucy has explained, comparing baseline measurements to measurements at 72 hours. And this is important, we think, for a feasibility and, and safety study. Um, whilst this may seem too easy an outcome measure, perhaps um, there is no guarantee that the TPA treatment will restore fibrinolysis, and especially as Lucy has outlined, when the fibrinolytic defect is downstream of TPA in the fibrinolytic pathway. Um, our novel tests enable us to determine whether plasminogen deficiency may explain the TPA resistance in those patients. The secondary outcome measures that we will include um, um, cover all other parameters that we get from viscoelastic testing um, and also changes in uh, patient's organ function. Um, but this study is not powered to detect any impact on patient-centered outcomes to begin with. And, and within the safety aim of, of this study, we will be recording bleeding events up to five days following the TPA um, in infusion, and we'll be looking for thrombotic events up to 30 days after the infusion um, or at hospital discharge, whichever comes first. Whereabouts are you up to in the, the study process at this point? 
Yeah, we have uh, commenced recruitment to stage one, the safety and dose finding stage. Um, the first patient that we enrolled um, about six weeks ago um, demonstrated on viscoelastic testing exactly what we had hoped to see. So that is very, uh, that is a very encouraging start. Um, we have another two potential centers that we hope will be involved in the study very soon. Um, and obviously, we would be happy for any other centers who are interested to participate after having listened to this podcast. And as if there are people who are interested in participating, how do they get in touch? They can either get in touch with me or Lucy or, or just send an um, email to Liverpool ICU and our research coordinator. And all those details are on the website. But Lucy and I are certainly very happy to be contacted directly by email. Finally, Anders, what do you see the impact of this study being beyond ARDS? Is there likely to be other benefits that you can see into the future? Well, I, I think ARDS is a model disease that illustrates the endotheliopathy um, that creates a prothrombotic state. And, and that is quite likely similar to what we observe in bacterial sepsis in general, um, in trauma, or in other systematic, systemic inflammatory states. Um, I also think that the enrichment strategy and, and the feasibility to use viscoelastic testing to continuously guide the TPA treatment, um, both are very important features of this study that could be extrapolated to TPA treatment if it would be applied in other settings, um, for example, sepsis, uh, trauma, or other multi-organ failure states. Um, Another potential um, application would be in, in patients with stroke and, and MI, um, in whom we could, using this approach, allow for a more tailored, um, personalized treatment. And it's also possible that the, the protocol could assist in using TPA in rural areas where access to interventions such as clot retrieval or stenting um, would be extremely limited, but where more aggressive TPA treatment could still be feasible. Lucy, Anders, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your insights into this very important research topic. Thanks very much, Todd. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great podcast interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslocommunity.com.